0: Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, follow your different. And on this episode, one of my personal heroes, Boss Rutten. He is a a ultimate fighting championship hall of famer and a living mixed martial arts legend. Of course, he's a sensei, a uh, fight commentator, and he's an entrepreneur and inventor. And he's best well known for being the former UFC heavyweight champion of the world. And we have a riveting conversation that I know you're going to enjoy about how as a Dutch kid, Boss overcame horrible asthma and eczema and bullying to become the baddest man in the world. And frankly, one of the greatest, and I would argue, and I think think most people who know martial arts would agree, one of the most terrifying fighters of all time. Now, even if you're not a fight fan, you're still going to love Boss. He's fun, playful, and affable. And his mindset around losing and overcoming adversity is frankly something we can all learn from. And if you are a fight fan, you are absolutely going to love how Boss takes us back throughout his career. And how he was able to do things like score 13 knockdowns without ever getting dropped. And becoming the most accurate striker in UFC history with an accuracy rate on strikes of over 70% and how he ended his career on a mind-blowing 22-fight-winning streak. Boss is also an inventor and an entrepreneur, and his new O2 trainer is fast becoming a must-have for professional athletes and weekend warriors, as well as people with asthma and other breathing challenges. Because as an asthma sufferer sufferer himself, who became um, uh, sort of an athlete with extraordinary um, cardio capabilities, He knows how to train and strengthen both your lungs and your breathing muscles. And he's converted that into this hot new product. Boss is truly one in seven billion. And uh, go to Lockhead.com for the show notes on this episode for the key takeaways. While you're there, we'd love it if you subscribe to our newsletter. And uh, my friends at NetSuite by Oracle, they're the world's number one cloud ERP system. They're a full suite of application capabilities for um, uh, high growth businesses to get all of your finances in one place at one time, from your desktop or your phone. And that's why NetSuite customers grow. As a matter of fact, NetSuite customers grow three times faster than the S&P 500, and you can too. To schedule your free demo right now and to receive your free guide, The Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits... Go to NetSuite.com slash different. That's NetSuite.com slash different and set up your demo and get your free guide. My friends at Splunk also want to remind you that we are clearly living in the data age and everything's getting connected and data is coming to everything, every question, decision, and action. And um, my friends at Splunk are the data to everything platform, which helps you turn data into doing. Check out splunk.com/d2e. That's splunk.com/d2e, as in data to everything. Now, hey ho, let's go. Well, Sensei, it sure is an absolute privilege to have this time with you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I want you to know I'm a huge fan. Your contribution to the sport, your, your record as a fighter is truly extraordinary. And I, I also must tell you, your conduct outside of the ring in the octagon is in some ways to me even more laudable than your success as a fighter. And so I just really want to thank you for kind of who you are in the world.
1: Oh, I appreciate that. You know, I, that's, uh, for me, I, I, when I see people who are ch- different on air when they are not, I go, man, that is so tiring. <laughs> you yeah. know, you got to put up with a whole face and a whole act. Just be who you are, and you know, and apparently people enjoy that, so I don't have to act at all. I'm just throwing it out. Well, it's funny, you know, having,
0: uh, of course, watch you fight and your commentary over the years. I loved your TV show. I'm so bummed you guys aren't on anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I do feel like I know you because it doesn't feel like you play a cartoon character on TV.
1: <laughs> no, that's true. But, you know, sometimes I, uh, I, uh, people will tell me that I, I, my, my life is almost like a, a cartoon character. You know, the way I act, the way I do things. That's why I like those things I did for um, ah, Cartoon Network. I did these commercials for them, uh, anti-bullying campaigns and get fit campaign. And I was like, they just let totally be me, be me. And that was so over the top and so crazy. And uh, I really enjoy doing those things. Same as Grand Theft Auto. You know, I got my own TV show in the game. And the way that came together, you know, I, I think it's actually one of my best works. I, I'm a complete psychopath, you know, like a, a host for a TV show, challenging people in the audience for a night to a knife fight. It's hilarious. You know? So, uh, yeah, stuff like that, being crazy, but just be me. I enjoy but that. You seem very playful, very fun. It is. You know, I, I think life should be fun. I mean, everything is, uh, you know, people, oh my God, uh, tomorrow there might be some bad news. I say, might be. Yeah. Okay, then just let wait till tomorrow till the bad news actually comes. Before you, you can complain all day long now and you cannot sleep from it, but it's not going to change the outcome. It's either yes or not. So start worrying once the verdict is there and then see how you can fix it. And of course, you can, you know, you can think about what you're going to do if it goes wrong. But, I mean, don't let it consume you. That's what people do normally.
0: Well, And the thing I find fascinating <coughs> about this, uh, I mean, you are a UFC Hall of Famer. I would argue one of the greatest martial artists of all time. I don't even think that's in dispute. Uh, heavyweight champion of the world. And as heavyweight champion of the world, one of the nicknames you uh, th- then have is the baddest man in the world. And so, so Sensei, how is it that, the baddest man in the world is this fun-loving, jovial, playful, I would even say, and I mean this in the most laudatory way, childlike individuals.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think it came from when I was a kid. I was a bullied as a kid. So uh, I had a horrible skin disease. Uh, so that meant that not a lot of kids wanted to hang out with me. But of course, I needed the attention. So I was always the class clown. I was always the guy who got kicked out of class, kicked off school. Kicked, I mean, my mom, my poor mother had to come so many times to school. but. Comedy was my way of dealing with it. I never thought uh, to sit down with it. Like people ask me, I had severe asthma, like a week in bed, not able to breathe, not able to eat, because I would lay in bed. And the same as the eczema, I would cover it in my hands and my face. And there was always people. I say, how do you deal with that? I say, well, because I know those people have it worse than I. I mean, the weak attack that I have, for, uh, you know, in bed, I know those people have the three hundred sixty-five days a year. And that eczema that I have on my hands, well, I know people, that are completely covered. So compared to them, it's not really that bad. And that's how, that was my outlook always in life. There's always somebody out there who has it worse than you.
0: Hmm. That's an interesting <coughs> perspective. Uh, particularly, you know, I was just double checking your record. Tell me if this is right. 28 wins and four losses. Does that sound right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It um,
0: so it's an interesting point of view, particularly for somebody who was so focused for so many years on, on winning. And, and the other thing, and I mean this um, in a positive way, your finishes were arguably the most brutal finishes in the history of uh, the UFC and and frankly, mixed martial arts. I mean, when you went to finish a guy, you either smashed him or broke a limb.
1: Yeah. we uh, You know, that... I never thought about that, but, you know, I was a different kind of guy at the time. So if somebody would make me angry before a fight, I was totally in control. But I, boy, I would tell my corner, I go, watch, till I, if I daze this guy, oh, he's going to pay for it. You know, sometimes when I watch fights back now, then, and I know that the, the thoughts that I had during the fight, that animosity, if there was animosity, thankfully I never had that a lot. I maybe only had three fights where I really turned it up for that. But, you know, I got ah, that's, a, that's a different guy. You know, I, I don't think I can pull that out now. Of course, if something happens to the family, somebody gets attacked, I can pull it out. But, I mean, it's, it's, that was on, on command pretty much. And now, yeah, that, that's a hard one for me to do.
0: So maybe we could go there for a second. You know, sometimes <coughs> in fighting, you hear that as the eye of the tiger. Um, and we would see you in fights. And, of course, you are known as an extraordinary striker. Uh, highest accuracy rate in the history of the UFC, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, um, still. That's so cool. <laughs> I looked
0: it up today. 70.6% striking accuracy.
1: I couldn't believe it. when I, I, I found that out with the, the, when I was inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. That's when they told me those stats. I go, wow, that is so cool. You know, but it's my fighting style. You know, I don't like to waste things. I like to look for openings. I give, right? the opponent most of the time gives the knockout to me. He'll make a mistake. If he punches, the body is open. And people go like, oh, really? So if he punches, you're allowed to kick under his body. Can you do that? I said, well, I won't fight like that. Look it up. You know, so yeah, it really works. It's just going insane about something that you love so much. And, and that's it. That's why it became easy. You know, I remember the time that I won 11 fights in a row because at the beginning I lost by submission until my third loss by submission that got really, got made me angry. And I said, okay, it's either I learn this game or I'm going to stop because, I, yes, I might be lucky and get a, ch- a title one time, but then if I defend it against the good ground guys, it will take me down and he's going to submit me. So I have to learn the game. And somehow for me, it, I, I just fell in love with it. I had no clue how much power ground fighting is, it's actually way more powerful than striking. If you think about it, you know, a good ground fighter can dislocate any joint in the body and can break pretty much any joint in the body. Now, if you think about it, that's, that's a pretty gnarly skill to have. So, yeah, I remember a fight when I was fighting Frank Shevrock and he wanted me to go to the ground and I hit him and he lays on the ground and he invites me to come down to the ground. And I go, no, oh, stand up, fight like a man, I said. And when I see me saying that right now, I go, oh, I was such an idiot, you know, fight like a man, you know, idiot. You know, I I broke a guy's shit bone by accident one time in a fight. I saw the fight the the day before there was this preview from our show. There's this big screen in the middle of Tokyo and we're standing there. That's actually how I got my fifth degree from John Blooming because John Blooming was the highest degree in Kyokushin. and He was standing behind me and I see this move and I go like, dude, that's a cool move. I should try that one time. So the next day I'm in the fight and I'm in that position, I like, go, ah, might as well try But since I never did it, I had no clue how much pressure I would put on his knee. Now, a heel hook, a inverted heel hook and the normal heel hook as well, is normally the, it's it's all on the knee. But if the knee is stronger than the ankle, then the ankle will blow. Well, if the ankle is stronger than the shin bone, well, that's what happened with me. it snapped the shin bone in half, you see. But then again... That, that was very hard for me. I went to look for him in the hospital. I'm literally crying, you know. I felt so bad for the guy. He spent eight months in the hospital because he got an infection into it. Like, this was not enough. He got also that. And then I visited him. He was with like eight guys sharing a, one room. I go, dude, that's completely different. When you go to Holland, you got your own room, own TV, own phone. You got everything there, you know. And clean food. He's got dirty cups with coffee. Yeah, that, uh, that really got to me. So it wasn't on purpose, thankfully. But, uh, yeah, if I could take that away, I would, I
0: would take that one away. And the other one, of course, is a striker I believe you were most famous for, certainly in my memory and, and when I was watching you fight, was um, the liver shot to the yeah. point where it was almost like, did, did, a, did a liver make you angry at some point in your life? Or why did you center in? And whether it was with, with a, you know, uh, your arms or your legs or whatever it was, you seemed to always be looking for that open liver.
1: Well, it was because I thought it was a badass karate until I had my first Thai boxing class. And my first Thai boxing class, I was sparring against an A-class fighter, which is pro. And of course, my hands from karate are here because we are not allowed to kick the head. So as soon as you start hitting my head and my hands are too low, what do you do? You overcommit. You don't go up slow. You're going to go, oh, shit, there's a punch, exposing the body. And of course, that pro... He found that out really fast and he dropped me with the liver shot. And it was the first time. I was already a black belt at the time. It was the first time I went down to the body and I asked him, I go, dude, what is this? This is so crazy. He says, "Ah, I've already explained what it was. And then I saw Robin Deckers, one of my yeah, I've I've always been his biggest idol. I truly believe he's the best type boxer ever lived, because unfortunately he passed away. But uh, when he started dropping ties in Thailand and other people with body shots, I go, okay, I want to be like him.
0: And um, the interesting thing about it is, it's it's so effective because, and you tell me, but my interpretation is, you can train all you want, but if somebody hits you in the liver, you could be the baddest man or woman in the world, you're going down. There's no way to train to take a liver shot.
1: Well, you know, there is if you would flex, but this is where it comes in handy, you know. My fighting and people go, are you serious? You're looking at that? Yeah, my second fight for instance, um, I, I was sick. I my, my manager because I never had a coach. I trained myself. So I had my manager in the ring. He was carrying my luggage. I was throwing up. They let me travel for eight hours on the day of the event. It was insanity. It was almost like they wanted me to lose, right? And, um, and there was this moment that he got me in an armbar and I wanted to tap. But then my ego took over because I heard the audience screaming for him. So I got out of the armbar Uh, because I was so sick, but I had not a lot of power left in me and he he shot at me and I took him in a guillotine, standing guillotine. I'm standing and I pull his arm to the side. So I'm seeing his body and you see me literally, I'm looking at his breathing in. (sighs) And as soon as he breathes in, that's when I gave the knee. Now that's the trick with, with fighting. If you see that knee, you think, was that all? It looked like I shot him with a shotgun. That's how hard it is. So you can trade 5,000 sit-ups a day. If you breathe in and you get hit at the moment you're breathing in, it won't do anything for you because the muscles are relaxed. That's what happens when you breathe in.
0: Yeah, that's, that's why they call it knocking <laughs> the wind out of someone, right? <laughs> seriously, yeah, seriously. And that's serious. why we train to breathe out if we're going to take a strike because if we have wind in us, we're in a lot of trouble.
1: You see, and, and that's where I, I focus on. Like, for instance, yesterday I had another a guy from a class, uh, KJ, and he's fighting at Bellator. You know, at a, like a right low kick defense, right? Somebody gives you a right low kick, the, uh, simultaneously hit him in the face. That works perfect. Now, if you want to do it to the body, you have to wait. that. This is a hard thing to do in fighting. It's all easy in training. But under pressure, that's a hard thing to do. You, uh, in the fight, if he gives you a right low kick and he pulls his leg back, and at the moment he pulls his leg back, that's when you hit the body because everybody breathes out, like you say, when they punch. So they're flexing when they're open. But when they pull back, they're breathing, they're breathing. And yeah. with a low kick. So when he comes back with a low kick, and yesterday with him, I literally did this, poof, to the body. And he goes, oh my God. I go, you saw how that punch was. And this is a guy who's going to fight this weekend. So he thought, you know, I said, it, it's really effective, but it takes a lot of control in your mind to stay calm. Fighting is a weird thing. There's two voices talking to you. There's one who wants to just finish it, finish it. And the other one is the more smarter guy. You have to listen to the smarter guy who says, no, take your time. Take your time. You have time to set this up. It's like many times you see fights. Somebody gets hit by the to the liver, and right away, the corner starts screaming, go for the body, go for the body. No, don't go for the body. He's protecting his body. You just heard him there. Go for the head. And then start distracting. And once you start throwing power shots, you force him into defense. Heads come back up. That's the moment you go to the body. You know, and again, this sounds really easy in training. Yes, it is easy, but that's the trick about fighting. I know guys who, who work circles around world champions in training, but they can't perform. I mean, we have high hope for these guys. Go, oh, my God, they're going to be the next world champion. But somehow they can't master to do it under pressure. And once you – that's what I always say. Once you can bring the game, your, your game that you have in the nice and safe dojo, you can bring that to the ring or to the cage, that's gold. That's pretty much – you're going to be a top ten guy for sure.
0: And so let's go there, uh, Sensei. I think another harbinger of your career was um, both when you were on the tack, the uh, level of sort of discipline you had for how you were going to set your opponent up was unbelievable, even to your point when they would get hurt. You didn't go into this wild uh, motion that you see a lot of fighters go into. You were very precision-oriented. And I think you tell me, but maybe even slightly more impressive is you were not a guy who panicked when you were under attack. When a guy was flurrying on you or ground and pound, or when you were in most horrible situations that I can imagine as a fighter, more often than not, it seemed to me that you were breathing calmly and you kept your head about you. You were not panicking. Can you maybe take me into what you do in those situations?
1: You know, it's the same thing. It's, the same thing that I said in the beginning, tomorrow something bad might happen, why would you get nervous now, you know, it's it just, I always tell my students, if me being freaking out, if that's going to help me in the fight, I will be freaking out, but it's not going to help me. If I stay calm and collected, I have way more chances of countering and looking for openings, you know, and I just tell myself that it's, it's you know, that people go like, oh, you were were you never nervous? Yeah, you were nervous when you walk into the arena, I know. But before the fight, I get into this whole, and everything is cut off. But I can let only in. I hear, listen to his corner. I listen to the people in the audience. I hear people in the audience having whole conversations that I would later say to them and they would start laughing because, you know, you're listening to me while you're fighting. You know, I pick up these things. And that was one of my biggest strengths, actually. Like, for instance, Kosaka, uh, when I fought for the news, my first UFC fight, he had uh, Maurice Smith in the corner, and I was going in for the kill, and I was just giving it, wanted to give him a high kick, and Maurice is shouting at him, watch for the high kick. So I immediately switched it into a straight punch because I figured now he's going to wait for a roundhouse kick. You see, so when I told Maurice that, I said, you should shut up, man. I could hear what you were saying. He goes, you're probably the only guy who listens to the other guys. I said, well, <laughs> I had to because I had no corner. You know, I had my manager in the corner for most of my fights, for 90% of my fights, so I just fought on my own.
0: And so, Sensei, if I were to say to you, how do I achieve this skill? Whether it's uh, as a fighter, or of course, <clears throat> these skills apply to everything in life. Uh, there are many situations that are not involving a physical harm of any sort, but maybe it's a business situation or some other thing we're striving for, or maybe it's a conversation we're having with our spouse or somebody we love, where for one reason or another we feel under pressure or under attack, and it's easy to act re- or to react emotionally. So how would you teach me to develop this skill?
1: Well, it's always, uh, like I said, talking to yourself. And of course, it has to be the truth because you know by yourself what is true and what's not true. You know, if I go to a fight, for instance, and I say, okay, nerves are not going to help me. It's going to work against me. You know, that, that's not really, if you break it down, there's not a lot that can happen. What like do go wrong. If you got a good referee, they will stop it. So that's the same with controlling your nerves. Now with fighting, I have to say, yeah, I mastered it with fighting. But then when you go to a different profession, like if I do an, uh, an uh, how do you call it an uh, audition, you know, there's a lot depending on an audition, on an acting so, uh, uh, audition. Trust me, I wish I was as relaxed in that as I was in fighting. So that I didn't master yet. I'm getting way more comfortable, and it's just doing it. You know, everything that you do a lot, you get used to it. I, I use the example of uh, riding, uh, driving a car. You know, and especially let's go to Europe because here in America, you don't have to. The whole thing you have to drive for a ch- stick shift. You have to pass your test with a stick shift. Well, if you're the first time you get into a car, you have no clue how this even works. You know, and you go, oh my God, you're thinking about everything. And it's the same when you do your test. Well, if they let you do the test now, you're making, a, you're sending a text message while you're lighting up a cigar. And, and you, I mean, you can do anything because you're so used to it it becomes normal. And I believe that's what's fighting the same thing. Now, it can backfire as well because I have had guys who cannot master it, but it is because they put too much pressure on themselves. Every time they say, I need to win, I need to win, I say, leave that out of the door. Just fight your best way. Give the guy everything you have. Even if you lose, you can at least you can say, oh, listen, I tried everything that I had. And if I try everything, chances that I'm going to win, they're going to be pretty high. So, you know, it's talking to yourself, be honest, but then of course doing it a lot so you get used to it, it becomes second nature.
0: And so training, do it in training. Repeat <laughs> Training
1: it. is, I, listen, I, I, I don't believe at that time was somebody who trained harder than me. I truly don't believe so. You know, and my training would be an hour and 10 minutes twice a day. People go, oh, an hour and 10 minutes. I had guys coming in who had a professional fight 12 days later, could do my warm up. I go, don't fight. He says, what do you mean? I said, this is the warm-up. We didn't even start. Because I take it to a whole next level. If you a fighter and you say, oh, I have to, uh, I'm training six hours a day. Six, what are you going to do? Are you going to fight a marathon? That's like the dumbest thing. It's like a sprinter and, and focusing on a 5K because you have to sprint. It makes no sense. My thought was, wait a minute. If I go twice a day, extremely hard for a short amount of time, I let my body get, get used, to throwing out a lot of energy in a short amount of time. I'm not spreading it out. I'm actually doing in training what I'm going to do in fighting. You know, and it, somehow it worked perfectly for me. And, of course, during the day, I'm busy with it. In my mind, I come up with new combinations that I wrote. I'll oh, ask my wife. I have post-its all over the house with combinations and leading to a certain combination, and a defense going into a counterattack. Like, I mean, crazy, on the ground and on the feet. My wife, my poor wife, I... I woke her up at least six, seven times in the middle of the night. I would dream a submission, and then I would try it out on her, wake her up, and she would go. And I would write it down. I say, she's shoulder hurting, right? Yeah. Okay, it's good. she's see. So it is a shoulder lock. I would write it down, and the next time I would try it in the, in training the next day. She walks at the, in the through the kitchen. I say, honey, lean over? And I would put a like a choke on her, and I go, "Is it? Are you feeling dizzy or does it hurt your throat? i feel feeling dizzy. Yes, I see. It's a blood choke. So I was figuring these things out all day long. And like I said, since I had no coach, I was just doing it on my own. And my poor wife, I, I asked her a lot of times to help me out, so to say.
0: <laughs> this is going to sound horrible, but it's what's in my mind. When most guys say to their spouse, hey, honey, bend over, they have a different thing in mind.
1: Yeah. Not me. <laughs> and so she
0: wakes up and her arm is sore because you've been arm
1: barring her in the middle of the night. Yeah, no, I would wake her up before I put in the arm bar, though. So <laughs> I would say, honey, I got to do this. Because she knew how important it was for me. You have no comp- People... <sighs> I get so insane. Oh, okay, let's talk about that very first training in, in, uh, in my time boxing class. Right? My hands so were here. I went home after that class. I spent four hours in front of a mirror... Only doing that Four hours I would grab a, a cup of coffee A tea I eat something Go back to the mirror And my girlfriend at the time Says you're insane I mean what are you doing I said my hands Will not drop anymore This is going to happen The next day I went back to that club I cleaned 80% of these guys out they, were, they all literally thought That I played a trick on them That I already knew how to box That I was acting The first time that I did and I said no I spent four hours In front of a mirror And when you say Four hours in front of a mirror People go Ah what I, I, uh, I challenge you, do 15 minutes. See how long that is. 15 yeah. minutes. But I'm super obsessive compulsive. If I see something that needs to be fixed, I want it to fixed today. And, but again, also, if I feel I cannot do it in those four hours, well, then the next day will come. I will calm down, you know. So you, you have to just approach it in such a way you want to be stronger. That's. You have a loss. I never went down, was down from a loss. I partied as hard as I did with the wind. Because now I knew I had to work on. I I really never saw that problem. Now, if I would hold back during the fight and and, and I would not show what I really have, yeah, then I have a reason to to be down because I didn't do what I was going to do. But if I just gave everything, well, I just got caught. Who cares? Makes you stronger for the next fight.
0: So the loss is, you know, you see some fighters and they're crying and it's this, it's this huge thing. And listen, I understand it's, it's your yeah. whole life on the line and you know way better than I, but one fight can change the trajectory of a career. Um, but it sounds like you had maybe a different mentality around losing.
1: Yeah, I ju- it's not that bad. It's the biggest life lesson there is. You know, I get, well, and again, what is going down going to do for me? Crying and oh my god! No, I'm not going to go out. You guys go out. I'm going to lay in bed awake, thinking about what I. I mean, it's not going to help you. You're going to put too much pressure on yourself. And then the next time when you fight, oh, I need to win this. I need to win this. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to lose. You know, everything you are afraid of, most of the time, that is going to happen. Oh, I cannot. I, I give you an example. My fourth, fourth, fifth fight. Before I jumped on the plane, the day before, I think I'm going to keep it easy. I'm going to run in the forest, right? Smart. Not smart because I want to stay away from bugs. But of course, while I was getting more tired, I misstepped and I blew my ankle. And I'm literally laying on the floor there for like 20 minutes. I go, okay, how am I going to go home even? This is really hurting me. So they go, oh, what's going to happen? Okay, so I calmed it down, iced it, I found a way, I'm back home. But now I'm coming in Japan and trust me, nobody knew. I didn't tell anybody, not even my manager. I'm really crazy about that because once you say it in the open, I believe other people pick it up. I stayed away from everything. I acted when I saw everyone, hey, man, how are you doing? So nobody knew that my ankle was hurt. In the fight, the very first thing, the guy shoots at that ankle and he goes for a toe hold. It was almost like I was sending a signal out from my ankle. It's injured. It's injured. You know. So whatever you're afraid of, that's probably going to happen. Don't. And you see that in movies, in shooting movies, with cowboys and shooting. You know, there's that mo- badass movie with uh, Unforgiven, I believe it is from Clint Eastwood. You know, and everybody starts shooting, and we all think, oh, there's an opponent. Well, we shoot him. Ah, it's not going to lo- look like if they're shooting at you because you can die. There's a lot. You're going to be sh- You're going to be all over it. And at the end of the movie, you saw when he was starting to drink, he became totally in the zone, and everybody is nervous around him. They're shooting. They all missing. and he goes like bum bum, bum, shooting, and he goes, boom, boom. You know, while everybody's shooting, that is the trick. And again, he probably thought, well, I can be panicking over this, but if I get hit, I get hit. It doesn't matter. Stay calm. That's the way to success because everybody else is nervous. Again, you see, you can tell yourself it's not going to help the nerves, especially if you're a gunfighter. Yeah, I wouldn't be nervous because that's the wrong profession to choose that. Trust me. <laughs> now, I'm curious, maybe if we could just go
0: back in time a little bit. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Sensei, that you had horrible asthma uh, as a child. Um, and so how do you go from having horrible asthma as a child to being one of the fittest men in the world? Y- y- your cardio was never in question. And it, it's, it's a big part, you'll tell me, but I assume it's a big part of what allowed you to act so quickly and so ferociously uh, in so many of your fights. And so how do you go from having severe life-challenging asthma to, you know, one, one of the greatest cardio athletes on the planet?
1: Well, you know, losing one time by, uh, as of, uh, by stamina that uh, Thai boxing, that happened one time to me. I never wanted to have that experience again. And then again, um, for me, I was always afraid of getting tired. And because I'm afraid of it, I'm probably going to get it. Because you start breathing different, everything is going to go wrong. Until I told my, and in training also, I never really wanted to get super tired because it kind of mimicked my asthma uh, experience that I had for a week or eight days in bed, you know, like that whole thing. Uh, and then I told myself, well, listen, there, there is no such thing as having enough stamina in fighting. You can never have a stuffed stamina. If you have two teams and they're equally matched in soccer, but this team has the better stamina. That team, 9 out of 10 times, will win. And that's with any other sport. So I taught myself, I started brainwashing myself. I was actually talking about it yesterday. I started, every time when I got really tired, I taught myself, more! I want more! And I started getting very excited. And somehow that worked. Somehow, like two, three weeks later, now I needed to get super tired in order to get that great feeling. The runner's high, I guess it is. I, you know? Like my teeth would be glowing. I, it's a weird thing to say, but they would literally glow on the way back from my uh, training because I would go so hard, but I would love that feeling. Uh, so I taught myself how to love it. And from that moment, yeah, then that, that, that it becomes gold because then you can do anything pretty much.
0: I love that. That's fantastic advice. <laughs> now, I'm also curious, you've trained, of <coughs> course, in, I don't know, maybe maybe almost as many disciplines as there, as there are. And and one of them um, I've read about is you've also trained in Krav yeah. And it seems like, unfortunately, Sensei, we can't go very long without uh, opening up our web browser at our favorite news site or turning on the television news and hearing a horrible story about somebody, uh, in some, many cases, women being attacked on the street, being uh, killed, horrible things happening. And so, if I wanted to get some baseline training in self-defense so that if somebody came up to me in the street, at least I would <clears throat> increase my odds of being successful, what, what would be the directions you might point me in?
1: Uh, well, yeah. First of all, because the street, many times there's weapons involved, and i truly really believe the cropper guy is the very best. If you have a good school, this is important to do this. Some teachers out there have no clue what they're talking about, of course, but you need a good school, a good teacher, good instruction. And they have really great weapon defenses, guns, knives. I mean, my buddy, Amir Peretz, he's probably, I, he's got to be the top three in the world. He's just insane how good this guy is. They, actually, I was doing, an, uh, how do you call it, sports science. I was kicking crash test dummies. They would measure the impact. And I would do these whole things and bar fighting. And then suddenly they asked me about corporal gun weapons taken away. And they wanted me to do that. And I go, <laughs> listen, I can do it. And I'm okay. But I have a friend of mine. I think it's better when you take that guy because he's way better than I am, you know? And I remember he was going to start at 11, and around 11.30, the producer calls me. I see it's the producer, and I pick up, and the only thing I say, he's freaking you out, isn't he? And he goes like, where did you fight this guy? This guy took away, and you see the timer next to it. In hundredths of a second, he takes the gun away. If the guy stands in front of him... And he grabs the gun, he hits the guy, he goes to disarming, and as soon as he disarms, that's when you see the bullet go out. That's how fast he was. He was already hit and he already had the gun. And now the bullet that he had came out. So, you know, but again, that's his specialty. It's over and over doing it again. Now, if you just do Krav Maga, I hope that you are at a school where they also train Thai boxing and boxing. This is so important. Because my guy by itself, if you know all the weapon defenses or poking the eye and all that stuff against a boxer or a tie boxer, you're going to be in trouble. You know? It's not going to work because they don't even let you come as close where you can poke an eye. And these guys are such a high level. They always say, oh, yeah, but I'll poke your eye. I go, I'm a professional athlete, dude. I have more accuracy. I can poke my eyes better than you 100%. You think I don't know this? You know, It's an easy thing. It's such a stupid comment that people sometimes make. So make sure that you also train boxing, a full-contact sport on the side. That would be the best. Thai boxing would be the best because then you automatically use also your elbows, your knees. And elbows and knees, that's what you really want to use in a fight in the street. You don't want to break your hands, you know, and a kick. Okay, that, you got a shoe around it, so you can kick them out with a the shin bone, of course, as well. But, yeah, elbows, headbutts. although they sound really freaking scary. Well, it depends on what situation. You know, if I have three guys who want to fight... And suddenly I grabbed the first one. I gave him two, three headbutts in his face. Chances the other two are going to fight. They're not going to be very high because it looks so violent. You know, and sure, I don't want to do it. But there are just instances that you're going to have to be very visual <laughs> so that everybody else says, whoa, I don't want to do anything. I was talking to an, uh, an uh, a guy a couple of weeks ago in an interview, and I was talking about as a bouncer, they would always ask me to be a bouncer. I was so... Loved as a boxer because from the 10 situations we had, we would fight maybe once. Because I would simply take the people outside or to the side, and I would go over what really happened. What happened? Oh, he was looking at my wife. Okay, did he touch him? No, did he say anything derogatory to her? Did he do? No, he didn't. I said, dude, that's kind of a compliment, right? It's not like he's looking at wife and he goes, ooh, that, okay, I can understand you get angry. But if he just looks and he doesn't touch and he doesn't do anything, you should see this, and most of the time when you break it down, they go like, yeah, that was, that was really stupid. Like, okay, what are you drinking? You're drinking, you guys appear, beer, shaking hands, and the party continues, need. So it's just breaking down the situation. That's what I do with traffic. If people start ah, honking the horn, I literally, I'm the guy who gets out of the car, and I walk with my hands up to them, I say, I just want to talk, just want to talk, and I explain to them, I say, why would you do that? Break this down for me. And all of them would go like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. It's so stupid. You know? I say, you would never make a mistake. You always when a green light. You, you don't hit the gas right away. Why do you need to honk the horn for five or six seconds? I say, five or six. It's long. Ah, ah, that's a long time, five, six seconds. Why don't go, hey, it's green. Click. You see what I mean? And once you break it down, they look at you and they go, yeah, that was kind of stupid. So that's what I do with every situation. I break it down. That's how I tell my kids. Step away from the – if you're in a problem, step away from the problem look at it from the outside imagine you are somebody else in the same situation what would you say to that person and that is the goal that's the trick to success because then you go like yeah i was way overdoing it you know it's always better
0: it's interesting if we can break ourselves out and have that third party point of view about something we're involved with it's incredibly powerful
1: you take the emotions away and once you take the emotions away, it's really not that bad. It's all our emotions that we don't have in check. That's why, you know, the senses, every, the, if you control the senses, everything that comes in, you can control your emotions. Yeah. You know, the whole cogitative power, all that stuff doesn't need to be disturbed, you know. Stop at the senses, you know. And you need to train yourself for it. Trust me. It's not like I'm the perfect guy sitting here. I get angry about things. I get, you know, by stupid people cutting in line. And, you know, Of course I get angry, you know. But again, I tell myself that. First of all, I always think, oh, it's my my stupid brother. That's how I deal with it now. You know, because if you visualize an other person being it, a a family member, then you're okay with it. And this is a big one I'm going to drop right now because this is with me. And for all the people who have the same as me, if you're in in, in traffic and somebody cuts you off, you get very angry, right? Now, if I'm driving shotgun and my friend has the same situation, I'm always laughing about it. I go, ah, relax, man. It's just an idiot. And suddenly I realized, whoa, whoa, whoa. So what that means is pride. Get rid of pride because you, are you, are you, you think it's directed towards you. Who are you? Who am I? I'm nobody special. Why would I believe that it's directly towards me? You know, and that's why I'm getting angry. So if you step away from it, Dwayne Ludwig always says, don't take anything personal. Maybe 1% it is personal of all the situations. 1%, you know, the rest it's all in your head step away, you're not that important, you're not as tough, you know, and that helped me a lot because once I realized I'm not getting angry driving shotgun and it happens, but when I'm behind the wheel, okay, it's me who is making the mistake. And, and this one I also tell my, 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 my daughters, if you cannot change people, you can't, they will always be doing that, there will always be knuckleheads, and there will always be that, the only thing you can do is you have to change and then so it doesn't bother you anymore. And watch out also, people who you don't know the situation. If somebody might be honking the horn and needs to pass, I'll go to the side. Other people go, oh, I'm not going to let it pass. You don't know his wife can be in the hospital, his kid can be in the hospital, he's driving to the hospital. That could be a panic situation. Why would, let your ego go, go to the side, let these people pass because you don't know what's going on.
0: Well, and it's interesting. One of the teachings, of course, of martial arts is, uh, if we are not humble in life, we will be humbled by life.
1: Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I know. But <laughs> however you judge people, you will be judged, you know? Yes. So, uh, no, trust me. I really stop judging. That's a lot of times in my head because you do it. Everybody's doing it.
0: Now, another thing I'm fascinated by, Sensei, is sort of the classic story towards the end of a fighter's career is almost inevitably we see fighters fast. <coughs> Uh, pi- a fight way past their prime and they get horrible knockouts and they get concussed or they get injured, but somehow they keep, they retire and then they come back and they retire and they come back. And it's, it's almost a foregone conclusion, it seems. And yet you, uh, you won the last 22 fights in a row of your career. And you did one of the most extraordinary things, which is you retired on a win. Um, and that was that. And so, and I know you sort of flirted a little in the end. Maybe you can tell me what your thinking was at the very end. But for the most part, you did not do what most fighters do, which is retire and keep coming back and then lose and keep losing and keep coming back. And so how did you think about sort of um, ending your career and frankly, having the courage to step into the next phase of your life?
1: Well, you know, I I have to be completely honest here. This, This was literally God taking care of me. Definitely. At the time I hated it, but he gave me a whole bunch of injuries. And I simply was forced to stop fighting. Then after seven years, I made one more comeback because I, I wanted to go to a home with a pool. And that's not a big home, you know, but I just wanted to have a pool. We're in California. Here. And so I took that fight and I felt great. Sensei, I mean, hold I had, on, let me can I interrupt you?
0: You took your last fight to pay for a pool?
1: Yeah. I wanted to have a pool. So I said, let's take the, f-. it was $225,000. That was in 2006. It was a lot of money for me. You know? So I go, I will, I will do it for that reason. Another reason was there. I was heavy drinking at the time. And because this is also a problem that m- a bunch of athletes have problems with, you know, because you get such a high, if you knock somebody out and if people go crazy, you get all the attention and it's something that you start liking, you know, and when that falls away, You know, you try to replace it, but there's nothing out there. Hey, alcohol, drugs, those are the things that most of the time those athletes are going to. You know, I always talk about Pat Militich. He's very smart. He knew that was going to happen. He saw that to his students. He starts chasing tornadoes. That is how he gets his high right now. It's a big tornado. He has a special car, and he goes in the center of the freaking tornado. (laughs) So, you know, you have to replace it. So once I get all these injuries, God forced me pretty much to stop and now I'm thanking him. And literally, I'm thanking him in my prayers every single day. Thank you for directing it in such a way that I wasn't the knucklehead who kept on fighting. And then eventually, like you said, you ruin your career. Uh, you're going to be a shell of what you used to be. You know, you, and it's understanding that there's just people half your age with unlimited energy who started training when they were eight years old you know, when you were finishing your career. Uh, that's, it, it, it's hard. Reality once that kicks in, you know that it's time for you to stop.
0: Yeah. Well, it's impressive that, you know, even though you flirted with it, and you didn't do what a lot of fighters do, do or do, uh, you know, at the end of their careers. Now, I'm also curious, you're somebody who has reinvented yourself, uh, if I understand it correctly. I mean, obviously, you had a wonderful career as a commentator. Um, and you're an actor now. And you're uh, an entrepreneur now. Um, and so tell me about sort of how you reinvented yourself and, and are doing all these uh, different and what seem to be very interesting things.
1: Well, I do. eventually I was wanted to do something in front of a camera, whether it was acting, stunt choreography, fighting, fight for fight scenes. I, I always was intrigued with movies a lot. So when I came to America, I still had, I think, four fights under contract for the UFC or for the Pancras. But they already wanted me uh, in the UFC. So I said, let me finish this, th- those fights and I go through. But as soon as I came to America, within three months, I was taking acting classes at the Beverly Hills Playhouse because I knew eventually there's something I want to do. And I know because it's with fighting like that, oh, you're a badass in the gym doesn't mean anything. Can you do it under pressure? That's the thing. You see, it's coming back over and over. And that's with everything. Imagine you're going to have to, you're a, a lawyer and you have to do an opening speech. And your client's life is depending on it. You don't think that guy's nervous? Oh hell? yeah, he's nervous. And he can do it in the in the nice in, in the mirror acting. Oh, yeah, it's so easy. I remember I thought I was so I was such a great act of a uh, uh, I rehearsed everything for my first TV show. I graded it. In, I knew every single line. And then they finally, you know, the the day came. Now, it didn't help the situation. I was a bank robber with a wig, with glasses, and all the cameras on me. It was the last shot of the day. And it was a Thursday. There was going to be uh, a holiday weekend. The next day, everybody was going to be off for three days. They all wanted to go home. And I felt the pressure. And I remember I could dream my lines. My first question was, line, I forgot my lines right away from the get-go. And then it did. I messed it up. I messed it up. I messed it up. And then I heard these people. <laughs> the crew wasn't helping. Like I would mess up a take. People would go, oh, no, you know? So now I'm, and, and suddenly I'm losing it. I'm stopping. I just shut up. But I did it in a funny way. You're not helping me. I'm freaking nervous as shit. You can't see this, you know? And I started screaming at them. And then people started laughing, which made me more comfortable. And guess what? The next take, boom, nailed it. I had to take. But you see what I mean? I thought I was in complete control. Took acting classes, did everything, yet my first line completely blanked out. So again, it's doing it, and I truly believe that what a lot helped me was being in front of a camera for as a commentator, a live show, doing a live opening. Well, I can't make mistakes. It's life, you know. And then you start learning how to deal when when you make a mistake. How to fix that mistake while you're still going over your script i mean there's a lot of things to uh teleprompters oh it's easy you just read from a teleprompter well go ahead do that with 50,000 people in the audience and do that with the whole world watching and you say one thing wrong everybody will write about it good luck you know and that that's a whole different ballgame same as fighting same as with everything else relaxation is always the key to success
0: I love it, boss. I, I also have to ask you, uh, how do you feel about the sport today? You know, uh, it's uh, not that long ago, the UFC was sold to new ownership. And of course, uh, things have changed tremendously. Uh, strike force is no longer around. Uh, Bellator feels like it's moved into a new uh, stage of its, of its life and growth. But I'm curious, how do you see the sport of uh, MMA and, and the UFC and Bellator? How, how does it look to you from your seat?
1: I I, I think it's great. I thought weight classes was a great addition. You know, in the beginning, we fought no weight classes. Yeah, but I'm fighting a guy who's 60 pounds heavier, but he doesn't have as much skill as me. Yeah, I can beat him. But now you're fighting a guy. uh, Let's say you're a heavyweight. And let's say you're a light heavyweight like me. I was the lightest heavyweight. I should have fought at light heavyweight, which wasn't there at the moment. It was only heavyweight, 200 pounds and over, and 200 pounds and under. So that meant that if I would face a 200... 65-pound guy who's probably on the day of the fight 280 because he's cutting weight <laughs> before he goes in, and he's got a black belt in jiu-jitsu and he knows how to strike, I'm going to have a problem. Of course I'm going to have. The only way to get out of it is to move a lot and see if you can get him tired because all those big muscles, he's got the same heart as us, he's got the same lung as us, lungs as us, only has way more muscle to carry, so you got to drive him nuts. You, know, you got to make him tired, make him tired, and then hopefully he can go in for the kill. So that's one when it came to weight classes, yeah, that, that was a great thing. I love the rules as well. I always thought about maybe adding knees on the ground and taking the elbows out. But lately, thankfully, many people get knocked out by an elbow. Before it was a cut, you know, and you know, if you want to bring it as close to street fighting as possible, you're not going to stop on the street if you're cut, right? You're going to keep on going. So I thought it was kind of a cheap way to win. You know, if somebody's a cut and you want, it's a great way to win. I'm not saying that, but is it a real victory? You know? So I said, maybe put the knees in on the ground because they will knock you out and they are easier to defend as well than an elbow. And then take the elbows out. But that will be the only thing I could come up uh, with right now.
0: And do you think there should be? I've heard some commentators say they think there should be more weight classes.
1: Yeah, because uh, f- especially the heavyweight. You know, if you're l- like me, I'm a guy, yeah, now I would fight a light heavy or maybe even lower if I would fight, I guess, because I've never cut weight in my life. But if you're a heavyweight, let's say you're a light heavyweight. uh, I mean, for a heavyweight, you're lighter, like 220 pounds. Now you're going to have that problem what I was just talking about. Now you're going to get a guy who's cutting down to 265, makes the weigh-in. On fight day, he's probably 280 or 275, and you're still your 220 pounds because you try to be as heavy as you can. That's a big leap. You know, and then that guy on top of you with talent, you know, who who knows how to hold you down. Yeah. I would really at least get a cruiserweight, weight, like 205 to 235 and then yeah. 235 to 65, sixty five up, up. It doesn't matter after 265 anymore. I don't think so. So that that's what I would like to see.
0: And I've often wondered, like, why isn't it just every 10 pounds? Like, why don't we have 155, 165, 175? Yeah.
1: I like mean, 10 moms, pounds, pretty much. And, yeah.
0: So I, I've always wondered at why they don't want to do that. And it would create more champions and more belt fights.
1: And, you know, that's always, I don't know, as a fan, that's fun, right? You know, uh, you're 100% right. And what's going to happen also is that you can get multiple belts and multiple uh, weight classes. But also, it, it opens it up because, yeah, they have so many fighters, uh, Bellator and UFC on their roster. A lot of these guys don't fight enough. They fight maybe twice a year if they're yeah. lucky. You know, I fought in Pancras my first year for like eight fights. My second, nine fights, and then again eight. Fi- I mean, those thirty-three fights I had—that was in the four and a half years. That's a lot of fighting. That's a lot of fights. See, but it's money, money, money. But, you know, why don't I keep? Why don't I keep going? So, in order to give all these guys a chance, yeah, what you're saying—more weight classes—that will solve that problem.
0: Fascinating. Um, now, I. Sensei, I could talk to you for <laughs> thousands of hours, um, but I also want to be super respectful of your time. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we wrap up?
1: You know, I always talk about what happened in your life. How can you make something positive, you know, making, going from something negative to something positive? My asthma, you know, people go like, what's your asthma? Well, when I was 14 years old, I invented a long training device and I start making that long training device now. That was literally because I realized after an asthma attack I would re- and I would resume my track and field, I would break my running times every single time, which normally was, of course, my worst subject, whatever you want to call it. So And I was always mesmerized. I go, why is that? Is it the medication now? Because I think it is also during the day, every day. So I, I, I didn't know what it was until I paid a visit to the doctor's office and I saw a drawing of a pair of lungs on the wall. And that's when I realized that the infection is not in the lungs, it's actually the air pipes, the airways to the lungs. And they showed one affected uh, air pipe and one healthy one. And I'm like, oh, I've been working out. I've been working out. I've been pulling air in through an affected area. I made my inspiratory, my, my inhaling part stronger so that when the infection is gone, now I can breathe better. It's easier to breathe for me. And that's what happens. I started start making it many years later, like ten years ago, and it cured me for my asthma. It cured 99 percent of the people who are using it for that. The, the results are just insane right now. I mean, what you can do with it, it will teach you to breathe the correct way. Ah, come on, boss. Everybody knows how to breathe. We're bored with them, really, because 95 out of 100 people breathe wrong. They breathe by lifting the shoulders. Well, this thing will force you to breathe through your belly. That what that does for your stamina instantly. It's just amazing. So right now, the, the best example that I can use is this. So it's, you're breathing in with resistance. I started with a hole of four millimeter. I keep it simple because I don't want to go into too many details. I, you have to only do 30 repetitions a day, which will take you under four minutes. That's the only thing you need to do. No working out with it, just breathing exercises in a certain way. Now, of course, I got stronger. I've been doing it for a year and a half. And I post every day, I post time lapses of me doing it on a special Facebook page so people who have an auto trader can see if I do it, then hopefully it inspires them also to do it themselves. Um, I went all the way to one millimeter now. Now, so the first time I did my 30 repetitions, I did it three minutes and 45 seconds. Now, that was a four millimeter hole. Now I do it one millimeter hole. I do it two and a half minutes. So I add a few repetitions to stay over the three minutes. Last week, less than two weeks ago, I go, you know what? I should time myself with that original one that took me three minutes and 45 seconds. I did it at one minute 15. So I'm three times stronger with my inhaling part. Inhaling is not done for the people at home by your lungs. Your lungs don't do anything. If you expand your chest, that's not because your lungs fill up with air. No, expansion is the other way around. Expansion of your chest will actually open your lungs to pull air in. That's how breathing works. The lungs don't do anything. There's just two bags. But there's a vacuum between the body and the the lungs. So if you expand, that's how you open up. So once you teach yourself how to expand through your diaphragm, which is the muscles just below your ribcage and the the intercostal muscles, which are the muscles in between your ribcage. But if you learn to breathe with this part right here, that is the goal. If you see my abs right now on the top, my top abs, they stick out compared to my other abs. Because those are the breathing muscles that I'm using. and have been doing it for 18 months now, every single day. So it just does wonders for them. It's under under four minutes, as I tell you. But don't jump on now and say, "Oh, I want to O2 trainer." Because four minutes a day can do it. You can't, because yeah, you can for a week. But you know, people suddenly after a week, three and a half minutes becomes too long. You know, it's it's like um, New Year's resolutions. You know that eight percent actually makes it. Ninety-two <laughs> percent doesn't make their that's the same thing. It sounds really good, three and a half minutes. Yeah, but I'm telling you, it's a workout. If my body started changing because of it, you have to understand, it's a core workout. But it will do wonders for you for sleeping, COPD right now, uh, asthma, for, for singing. You get a louder voice. I mean, the, the, the things that you're, you're gaining with it is just bizarre. Think about this. There's the, the survival rule of three. That states that an average bo- human body uh, can go three weeks without food, three days without water, three minutes without oxygen. And we all focus on the water and the drinking and the, and the food. We don't focus on the most important one, and that's what the auto-trainer does. Under th- uh, four minutes a day, and if you're fast with it, it becomes three minutes. Like me, I do it in two and a half minutes, so I add uh, like five repetitions to make it over three minutes, so I still have a three-minute work time. But three minutes a day, that's it.
0: And- you're um, you're an inventor now. You're a, you're a scientist. You're an entrepreneur. You created this device. Yes. Well, remind me what it's called again, Sensei. It's an O2 Trader. An O2 trainer.
1: O2 Trader. Actually, it was originally it was the routinizer. We thought about that, but then I figured, <laughs> then I figured, well, wait a minute. Like ninety nine percent of the people in the world, they don't know me. Uh, it, probably more people go, "Oh, this rainbow." No, that's not. You know, if you really break it down, one in a thousand, maybe. You know, because yes, I'm known, but like a lot of circles, I'm not known. So, routinizer is not going to say anything to those people. So, that's why I came up with the O2 training. Well, and
0: I got to believe, you know, living here in Santa Cruz where I live and, and being a surfer, um, one of the biggest things uh, for surfing, of course, is oxygen. It's a, it's a sport where you stop and start a lot, but particularly, of course, with big wave surfers where they have these things that are called a a wave hold down. So you fall off a wave or maybe even you ride the wave, but you're still, you're on what's called the inside and there's big waves coming that you have to get through and you get smashed by these waves and it can be very violent and they can hold you down for a long time. And the worst case scenario for big wave surfers where they're surfing 30, 40, 50 feet waves, if there's multiple waves coming and most people cannot survive what they call a two wave hold down where two big waves come and hold them down, and so um, being able to train your breathing in surfing is is one of the most important things.
1: You know, I, I just uh, last week I saw him for the second time. It's a good guy, man, Stick Siverinson. He is the world record holding breath. How many minutes do you think he can hold his breath?
0: Oh, you give me a my, number. Make you're going to believe. Sounds stupid. Um, eight minutes. Ten minutes.
1: Yeah, twenty-two. 22 minutes. Like these people, they all, everybody, this guy is the biggest breathing guy. Everybody's talking about Wim Hof, right? Everybody, oh, Wim Hof, this, this. Well, Wim Hof has the record diving under ice. Well, he broke that record. And then he broke that record again afterwards. He's the world champion free diving. The guy is just insane. Imagine they sit on ice. They cut a hole in the ice and he sits with his speedos. He's meditating and he's warming himself up. He jumps in that hole. And then 90 yards further, there is another hole in the ice. There's no rope in between. He's going to have to figure out where that hole is. And he has to dive underwater, come out, and then he sits on the ice and he's meditating himself warm again. This guy is crazy. He's going to do a new world record I hear. I don't know what it is. He didn't, want me, uh, he wanted to, didn't say it to me, but he's very intrigued with the auto trainer. And he said, oh, yeah, no, I'm going to try it, boss, for sure. Because once he realized, I can literally with the auto trainer, I feel my lungs exactly like they're supposed to be. Like if I breathe into that little tiny hole and while I'm extended, I still feel my lungs opening up at a bit of God, that vacuum sucking them open because my chest expands now faster than the lungs can expand. So it's a really weird feeling, but it's such a good feeling. So I'm pretty sure he's going to nail that world record. Very
0: exciting. And I love that you're pioneering in this way. And I love that you uh, figured out how to punch asthma in the
1: face. <laughs> yeah, that's the best. That, that was the biggest thing for me because it cured me from my asthma. And now, I, so I said it to a friend of mine in um, in Holland, because I knew he had asthma, eight days, I was two and a half weeks, gone. Eight days later, he calls me, he says, boss, I want to, I want to sell him in Europe. I said, what's happened? I said, I, my asthma is gone. He says, this is the most insane thing ever. And then you start reading all the reviews from the people. It's freaky, man. People, it's either they completely cured or they use the Inhaler, 90% less. And one more thing I need to say because now people are going to go, yeah, but if you're asthmatic, you still get, yes, you're 100% right. So if you're allergic, let's say, I was allergic to dogs, uh, hairy animals. And if I would spend half an hour with a dog, the next day I will be eight days in bed. Would completely be closed. The O2 trainer trains you in such a way, you will have that allergies, Allergy, you will still have that, but your, your inspiratory system gets so strong, you just simply pull straight through That infected area, and that's why it, it literally stops it. Some people use one here and there, an inhaler, but most of them, and I'm talking 90%, are completely cured. Can I medically prove it? Not yet, because uh, I do have a lot of published medical journals. What it does for you, uh, and that for the people at home, I always say, published medical journal means it's clinically proven, you know, because there's a lot of people they say, Oh, I want to buy that product, it's clinically tested. What was the result of the test? If the result would have been good, they would have said it's clinically proven. So needless to say, if they try to sell you something clinically tested, don't buy it. It makes no sense. If it was good, it would have said clinically proven. And that's what a published medical journal does.
0: Sensei, I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, You're an incredibly inspiring athlete and uh, champion, (laughs) baddest man in the world, hall of famer, entrepreneur, actor, and now inventor. Um, it's and, crazy. Uh, it's such a thrill <laughs> to hang out with you. You're welcome back anytime, and uh, and bless you, Sensei. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, Osu, right? <laughs> yeah, that's so for the people. And she is endure. And those put pu- pu- words together is Osu. Osu. That's what you officially say. So if somebody, karatica writes you O-S-S, you say, nah, it's O-S-U. Osu. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much, Sensei. Bless you.
1: You're welcome. Godspeed.
0: You too. Well, there he is, the living legend, Boss Rootin himself. And uh, I know I say it all the time, but uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, And if you did, um, you might also enjoy episode number 38 with the greatest volleyball player of all time, American Olympic legend. And I'm happy to say my friend, Kerry Walsh Jennings. That's episode 38 of Follier Different. All right. We would like to thank the baddest man in the world, Boss Rootin himself. Yes, he was just here. <laughs> and if you want to find him on the internet, check him out at dot com. That's BossRootin.com. And if you're interested in an O2 Trainer, go to O2Trainer.com. You can pick one up for yourself. And maybe a couple others because they make great gifts for anyone you know who likes to breathe. <laughs> also, uh, don't forget my friends at One Life Fully Live.org. This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. Check them out. The number One Life Fully lived.org. And uh, GrowWire.com. It's what legendary growth oriented, entrepreneurial oriented people are reading today. Check it out at GrowWire.com. Now, is it time to scale yourself? Why not look into the power of a virtual assistant? With my friends at Bottleneck Virtual Assistants, check out bottleneck.online. That's bottleneck.online. Now, I also have a question for you. Um, Do your people think your company is awesome? Check out my friends at Socrates.ai. They are the leading digital conversation hub, and they want to help you make your company employee awesome. Imagine being able to talk or text from your phone, And ask any HR-related question in the company and get an answer answer back instantly. That's Socrates, and that's Employee Awesome. Check out S-O-C-R-A-T-E-S dot A-I today. All right, I need to remind you that uh, this oddcast is clearly the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed. Uh, We must warn you that clearly this oddcast gets created in a studio that does contain nuts. We are produced by the incredible Jamie J. and Sarah Knox. Our editor is Mike D. And scheduling and show notes and other awesomeness by Diane Gervasio. Uh, and the person who keeps us all running on track, none other than Candy Dandy herself. Remember, learn self-defense, support your local martial arts schools, teach peace, buy John's crazy socks, don't be lame, get out of the passing lane, I love you mom and dad, and hey Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Dennis Mullenberg, CEO of Boeing. Sorry, Dennis, we just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much. I really enjoy this time we get together. Uh, uh, Thank you for investing part of your life with me. And until next time, stay legendary and follow your different.